You're listening to Strong Woman Radio, a sanctuary free of testosterone, save for a few special guests, where ladies who like to lift heavy things can chit-chat about the struggles and success that comes with being a woman in a man-dominated sport. We welcome all listeners of all sports, be it strongman, CrossFit, Olympic lifting, or more. Please send us your own inside girl jokes or questions if you'd like to submit one through the contact form on paleoparents.com. Simply click the podcast drop-down from the top right corner and submit a question or comment under the SWR tab. While you're at it, shop on the sidebar of our blog for our favorite products and recommended partners. Now, let's get to our fearless leaders, two competitive strong women athletes who earned their invites to nationals within the first year of training for the sport. Please remember, Stacey and Vivian's banter is often mindless and should never be taken for professional medical advice. I'm super excited about this week's show. Um, we have Diane from Foo Barbell on the show, who, um, one of my original IG follows, I don't know if you know this, but first of really? all, I joined IG way super late. Like, you know, it should have been, I should have been a founding user considering how much I psychotically love IG. <laughs> so one For of real. my, yeah, one <laughs> of my original accounts, like first 20 follows was, was your IG. And I, still to this day I love following you and the videos you post and the amount of information that you're able to share on Instagram is something that I have attempted to do in my own um, fitness shares so I'm super excited to have um, you on the show Diane and um, I also was super jazzy hands geeked out I may have text messaged Viv and been like, is this real life when you commented on my squat photos? And I was like, what's happening? So welcome to the podcast. And yes, it's real life. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, it says a lot that, you know, I was one of the first people you found. I have no idea how you found me. I usually don't know how people come across me these days because of, you know, all the, the channels that are out there. But I'm glad you find the information useful. Um, hopefully it's helped your lifting. Um, and yeah, I'm very appreciative to be on here with you guys. So I, th- I, I think what would be kind of interesting is if maybe you could give people a little bit of information about you and who you are and what you do, like a little um, mini bio. It, yeah, mini bio for people that might not know who you are or might not follow you. I know for, for me, I think of you as one of the founding women for strength training and there aren't a lot of women who are thought of to be leaders in the strength movement. And so for me, I think that was how I ended up finding you is because that's just something I seek out and I'm drawn to. Um, so maybe a little bit about your story and how you got into lifting and, um, and what brought you to where you are today would be helpful for our listeners that might not know that. I mean, I don't even know that. So I'm excited to hear. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people know me through weightlifting, through Foo Barbell, Uh, people who are within, you know, the CrossFit community uh, will know me through CrossFit. My history with, you know, I like to consider kind of the global scale of fitness spans all the way back to about 1999 is when I started in the fitness industry. Um, I worked as a personal trainer back then, Uh, you know, did that as I kind of went through school. Uh, went through a period of, you know, personal training management in the commercial field. And, you know, really how I got started in strength was through fitness and through, you know, enjoying being healthy and helping others be healthy in the process as well. And it was somewhere about the mid-2000s that I discovered CrossFit through a friend. Um, His name is actually Adrian Bosman. He's uh, one of the... uh, kind of the uh, leaders in the CrossFit movement right now. And uh, after discovering CrossFit, I discovered there was a lot of other avenues that I could explore. Suddenly there was this thing called, you know, Olympic lifting that I really never really knew about. I thought it was just something people performed every four years in the Olympics. Um, (laughs) And uh, powerlifting and gymnastics and the idea that, you know, 
as adults, we can entertain all these different avenues was very fascinating. So CrossFit was something that was, you know, unique and special, and I wanted to explore a little bit further. So I ended up leaving the commercial world, and I met a gentleman named Kelly Starrett. And, uh, you know, ended up joining his team over at San Francisco CrossFit. And the way I came into weightlifting was just, you know, simple curiosity on how do I become better? How do I find more information on all these different areas of uh, CrossFit movement? And I started seeking out specialists within our community. Um, I got into weightlifting. Again, it was the same discovery. I thought there was something very special about it. I wanted to explore it. I wanted to become better at it. I wanted to learn everything there was about Olympic-style weightlifting. And so um, I decided to cross over and spend some time there, thinking it would be a limited amount of time. But, you know, a limited amount of time has now turned into, you know, seven, almost eight years. And... Um, you know, how I decided to start Foo Barbell is, you know, I personally felt that we needed another voice out there. And the voice would that would be a little more feminine, that would give a different perspective. And it was kind of the thinking where it's like I wanted to answer several questions of, hey, you know, there's a lot of different ways to be able to utilize weightlifting technique? Was there a best way to do it? If there was, what was this best way? And I wanted to be able to join in on the conversation on, you know, how to be able to dispense and share information. And it's slowly evolved over the years where it's created a lot of opportunity for me to go out and meet a lot of different athletes and coaches from different countries. And so now Foo Barbell has almost become like this melting pot of, uh, I guess, technical information that's specific to weightlifting and I'm very you know happy and fortunate that I can be one of the voices out there that's helping push the overall sport forward well I think you're doing a fantastic job of it um I had no idea that you had even been doing it that long you look so young in your photos Thank you. um, I will totally put myself out there as being, because I know that I am not the youngest one on this uh, podcast, that <laughs> I was in high school in 1999 for what that's worth. So for me, that's kind of putting it in perspective on, you know, I, I've only been doing strength sports for less than two years. And just the what I've learned and what I see myself improving and growing in in that short amount of time, I can only imagine... Um, the kind of knowledge that you've been able to accumulate, like you've said, with the people that you've worked with and um, what you've done over that time. And I, I think it's it's amazing and awesome that you created that, like you said, feminine voice in the movement and have become not just someone that people seek out because you're a female and they want your voice on a feminine perspective, but also just from the perspective of you're really good regardless of if you're male or female, which is what I think, you know, we all kind of aspire to be is not, Oh, you're good for a girl. No, I'm just good. You know? So yeah. Um, Viv had some questions actually about some of the intro stuff that you talked about. You want to ask your questions, Viv? Forgot where I put them, but oh, I can. <laughs> I've got, I've got your questions. Pulled you got up. my questions. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that, um, one of the things that you wanted to ask was what it was like to train with K-Star. And I don't, Dan, I don't know if you know this, but um, he and I both have the same publisher, which is like not a real connection at all. But I, <laughs> I feel like it's kind of like, you know, five, five points of Kevin Bacon. I don't know. Like, what do they call Six that? Degrees of Kevin yes, Bacon. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, in some way, we're connected. <laughs> you absolutely are. You're one degree closer, Stacey. Yes, yes. So what is it like to work with him? Um, he is, you know, in, in my humble opinion, a master at what he does. He's incredibly intelligent. He's funny. Um, just in case you guys want to know some secret information about him, he also happens to have a photographic memory. What? Whoa. That's which cool. Which probably contributes scary. to why he's, Yeah, it's a little scary, but probably also contributes to, you know, why he's so good at what he does, right? Because he's, uh, he's basically his own cyborg of information, 
right? He's a, his own collective. Um, he's great. He's uh, one of the most, you know, the the most generous, the the one of the smartest people, and one of the most innovative people with what he does that I've ever had a chance to work with. And every day that I interact with him, there's there's constant sharing, there's constant communication, and we are, you know, continuously pushing each other forward in what we do in our respective fields. That's awesome. Um, so what are, what do you think are some of the best recommendations for, um, people in terms of uh, mobility and warming up and kind of pre-prep for the platform or, um, strongman competition? Like for me in particular, I've found that there's much different mobility for when I was doing a lot of strongman, which was obviously movement intensive activity versus, you know, the static movements that I've been doing with just squatting the past few weeks. And that was new to me because, again, I'm new to strength. And so learning how to warm up and get mobile for just a simple difference like that is something that I'm personally learning about. So for you from like an Olympic perspective or from just strength in general, what do you, what do you find to be the most the important? Most- well, I feel the template that, you know, the template that I have my weightlifters and the template that I have athletes of mine follow is starts with a general warm up, right? You want to get the overall system prepped and ready for the day. So whether that means something more active like getting on a rower, uh, you know, running around the block, jumping some rope, um, all those will qualify just to get the core temperature or the body temperature up. Um, I've been known on very cold days and we're talking cold cause we're in San Francisco <laughs> and cold for us means like it's hit the fifties and I'm about to freeze. I've been known to, you know, jump in the shower, you know, and get more of a passive warm up, basically just get the body temperature up. And from there, you know, what we usually recommend prior to, you know, movement or prior to exercise is something that addresses uh, the body on a joint level. So we'll do a lot of, you know, Kelly's techniques like band distraction. We'll do uh, voodoo flossing. We try not to do too much that, you know, um, we have a technique called smashing where we try to get the tissue breathing and moving. We, we see that more as a recovery technique post-workout. And the example that we give there is like, we don't really want you laying on the floor, kind of rolling around on a lacrosse ball or foam roller is because that type of activity tends to downregulate the system. It's like getting a deep tissue massage. Nobody ever gets off the table and is like, yeah, I'm ready to go smash my workout. <laughs> right? People get off the massage table and they're like, man, I'm ready for a nap. So what we do is we try to save that down regulation for recovery after you're done with your session. So everything prior works to ramp the system up. Um, From there, you know, there's no specific prescription. I think it depends on the individual athlete and, you know, having them know what their problematic areas are. For example, if you have stiff shoulders, typically that's tied to more thoracic spine work. So we'll open up thoracic spine. We might get some of the tissues around the shoulder joint, uh, the shoulder level open. Or if they're hip, we have a lot of hip banded techniques. We might also look downstream further and look at the ankles. So it's hard to say this is the one thing you got to do. Everyone's a little bit different. But once you start getting the door open, you know, I move further and I say, well, you know, mobility is also found in the movement. So from that point, once we kind of get the door open a little bit, we have them start just moving on the barbell. And I tell my athletes that they're not allowed to advance the weight until they are breaking a sweat with the empty bar. Yes. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's right. true. So I feel if you're like not... I have a lot of people that just want to warm up with like all the heavy things. And I was like, no, not all the heavy things. Yeah, Use well, barbell. You know... <laughs> You know, typically if you start to rush it, you know, and I have a lot of athletes and I'll, and I'll be the first to admit, you know, when I'm time crunched sometimes, sometimes you just got to go. But it doesn't really set the body up for a very, you know, productive session, in my opinion, especially not if you have to hit a certain percentage. And that percentage tends to be a little bit higher in the 85, 90 percent range. 
Right. So, um, you know, if that if the, I, I know that wasn't a very specific prescription or specific recommendation, but that's typically I know because there's no one set answer. That's typically what we have our athletes do. And one thing I will also say when it comes to warm up and mobility is, you know, telling athletes not to get all the mobility prior to workout, meaning if your shoulders are stiff, you don't want to reclaim 100% range before you start Olympic lifting because, you know, too much range, too much new range tends to be weak range, and you don't tend to have very good motor control in those ranges, right? So if you are not used to having full range of motion around your shoulders and you spend so much time mobilizing and now you're going to go snatch 60 kilos, that might put you in a somewhat sketchy situation, right? Mm -hmm. So you just want to get the door open a little bit and then get the rest of it through moving with the barbell and warming up. You hear that, Stacey? Yeah. Remember that one time I, uh, I told you to look at this one video? <laughs> <laughs> you you t- used to make me look at a lot of videos, but I'm pretty sure that you're making fun of the <laughs> most painful the mobility tech like, ever. Yeah, that's what the video was called. Yeah. And it was by K-Star. Yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> it, was, it was super nice when she sent that to me, and she was like, you need to do this. Now, the name of it was the most painful thing ever. And I was like, I'm really looking forward to that. It sounds awesome. <laughs> um, no, I think that there – I totally agree with you that there's not just one way. We got a lot of um, questions and comments from people about um, can I skip – yada 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 and it's always like can I skip mobility and accessory work and um, I happen to be a really super flexible person and I also happen to focus on those things every time and um, people are always like oh I need to I need to get on that and I'm like, you should just get on it like you yeah. shouldn't you shouldn't say that you're going to like you should just I'm do it the um, end of Stacy I'm <laughs> not as flexible but I am getting on it or I'm on it. <laughs> but I think it's really important what you said about learning um, to get warm. And literally that means your body should be warm and you should be sweating before you start. And then really focusing on um, the stretch and, and that sort of technique after. Because that's something that I know, like you said, when I make time to do, I definitely feel the difference. And um, one of the things that I actually read Um, I think last year was there was a scientific study that came out that said people who stretch too much kind of like you indicated, but there was a a study that showed people that do too much static stretching prior to explosive movements. So even as it doesn't relate to strength sports, but let's say, you know, you're a sprinter and you do a lot of static stretching beforehand, you're actually more prone to pull a muscle or something because you're priming your muscles for static movements and then if you go into explosive movements you haven't primed them properly so the best way is like you said do some jogs do some burpees do some jump ropes do something to kind of get the blood flowing and loosen everything up so that your body is able to anticipate that explosive movement that you're about to do rather than just saying hey it's stretching yoga time because if you're not about to do stretching yoga time then it's a confusion that can actually break your body Right, right. We want to make your warm-up specific to the task at hand. So whatever it is, whether it's, you know, Olympic weightlifting, whether it's powerlifting, whether it's gymnastics, whether it's CrossFit, we try to utilize techniques that's going to upregulate the system so it's prepared by the time, you know, you're ready to engage in a workout. Cool. So in the mode of training, we've now warmed up or whatever. <laughs> um, generally speaking, or how is do you see a difference when you're training men versus women or is is it at this point all the same for you because you have like this respect in the community um i mean could you pose that question differently what do you mean different um let me see I know from our conversation with the guys they find that training with women women are more i think volume centric and they want to push through more versus a lot of times when what they say a guy fails, they're just like, all right, I'm done. I failed and, and it's enough and I'm not going to try for 20 more times to, until I get it. Do you see that a lot in Olympic lifting or is that different from them at strong, strong men? 
Uh, yeah, I can't speak for Strongman because I, you know, right. I know much less to very little about that specific activity. Um, but for Olympic lifting... It's fun. That's what you should know. Uh, it looks fun. <laughs> it looks impressive as hell, too. Let me tell you that much. Um, anytime I go to the Arnold's, uh, I love checking out the Strongman competition because I'm like, man, I wish... I had the ability to be able to deadlift that vehicle as many times as they're doing it. <laughs> that looks super impressive. Um, but in terms of just output or effort by my, you know, for male and female athletes, generally not at all. I mean, I, both the men and the women that I work with, they, they push, they push really hard. But also because of the way I coach, there's an understanding of when is a good time to push and when I'm not going to let them push. And so one of the kind of one of the parameters or one of the boundaries I set for my athletes is they're always allowed to challenge themselves as long as it's within the confines of their technique and movement. So as long as they don't look like they're pulling a Hail Mary on the bar, we'll take a couple more attempts to try and get after the weight. And we usually make this decision together because going after, let's say, a load that's more near somebody, an athlete's limit also requires a mental commitment on their part. So even though I might feel that they physically can do the weight and their technique uh, is still good, they just maybe had to make some adjustment, if their mind isn't in the game, then we're not on the same page and we don't let them take that lift because it probably, if, I always say, if you don't believe it's going to happen, it's not going to happen with Olympic lifting. I've not, I've yet to talk to an athlete where they approach the bar and they go, hmm, I don't know if I'm going to snatch this weight. And suddenly by some miracle, they snatch it over their heads, right? Right. It might happen with a deadlift or a squat where they're like, ooh, I don't really know, but I'm just going to give it my effort. And they might be able to stand up all the way with the bar. But Olympic lifting is so neural that if you don't believe you're going to do it, then you're probably not going to do it. Um, So from that respect, no, I don't really feel like I see a difference between my boys and girls. I think it's it's fascinating to hear that response because that when the guys were on, it was like – they insisted it was so blaringly different between when they were with guys and girls. So I wonder if, I wonder if it's like you said, Olympic lifting, because I do think that's much more te- technique and refined, um, or if people respond differently to them as males or something. Um, um, it could be. And what I will say is, you know, as a coach, it's usually for the athletes that I work with, not about pushing them forward. It's more about pulling them back because a lot of the boys and girls I want to work with, if left to their own accord, they'll keep attempting a weight until, you know, until they set themselves up to break. And so as a coach, it's more coming in and being like, okay, you're, you're done for today. We're going to save this for next time and making them okay with that decision. So how, what, how would you define that break? Like for, for our listeners who themselves might not have, the luxury of uh, a coach all the time or even a great coach. Um, what what do you think those indicators are that are kind of red flags for you for when you see someone going too far and need to pull back? Um, if we were to be able to, you know, qualify this, I would say for me, because of how long I've been doing this, I go by feel like I have a very good sense when my lim- my athlete is at their limit and they're probably not going to make this next attempt. And, you know, I will, st- you know, I will hold them back at that point. If we were to actually put something tangible, it's a break in technique, meaning they didn't hit their positions correctly, or I can see that they're visibly lacking enough elevation on the barbell. Um, those are both really good indicators that, you know, they're probably not going to, you know, doing it again and again is probably not going to make it happen. Now, if they're getting plenty of height on the barbell, right, the power is good, the movement's good, or I'm sorry, excuse me, the power is good, but the movement needs a little adjusting, you know, because of they're slightly out of position. 
then what I will do is I will try to give them some, you know, cues to be able to input the right information to, you know, let them take another attempt and hopefully be successful. So those are kind of the things that I look at in terms of, quote, breaking movement. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. That is awesome. And so like, when you're so for our listeners and our athletes, a lot of them are just now either starting strength training or um, looking to, I guess, jump into a strength training, Olympic lifting, whether that be Olympic lifting, um, strongman or whatever, or CrossFit. Yeah, I think um, we have a lot of CrossFit listeners. We too. have a lot of CrossFit listeners. What should they look for in a coach or a trainer that would be good indicators, like for them to train with that? person or like red flags where like don't go there no (laughs) stop turn around (laughs) this might be vague for me to say but intuition you have to trust the person you're working with it doesn't matter if the coach is actually good or actually not good or what the qualifications of the coach are if the athlete doesn't trust the coach the the relationship won't work because they'll doubt the program they won't fully internalize the feedback um it just ends up being a really big mismatch and unfortunately a waste of time for both parties involved so trust and intuition is key and i feel that you as an athlete you should know when you work with a coach whether this is somebody that if you stayed with could advance and move you forward or if you listen to them and you're like "Mm, I don't know if I can fully you know gel with what this person is saying right right because I can say oh yeah you want your coach to have you know such and such uh, credentials or such and such certifications but I've also, I've met coaches with many credentials and many certifications where I personally felt that I wouldn't be able to advance underneath them as an athlete. Right. And I've met with coaches that, you know, maybe don't quite have the credentials, but listening to them speak and their approach to training and philosophy, I'm like, this, is, this, this person is going to help a lot of people move forward with what they want to do and, you know, move forward really well. So I feel like it's a, it's a personal bias. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. I would agree with you too. I think it it takes a people like a long time to find who they're gonna gel with. So I think when people are like, "Oh, I should just go to any CrossFit, whatever," and I was like, "Okay, that's fine," but try it out to see who you like and who you what you gel with, whether that be the part of the community or or um, your coach or trainer, whatever well, you're choosing to do. Here's what I would also say if we wanted to put some more tangible qualifiers around that is, you know, you can look up uh, weightlifting gyms or you can look CrossFit boxes or you can look up, you know, powerlifting uh, clubs or strongman clubs in your area. And you can pull up. I think credentials are a good way to start. Right. Credentials like, you know, if you're a weightlifter having a USAW L1 and if they have an L2 and see what their experience is, how long they've been coaching. Um, those are all easy indicators to be like, okay, I'm probably going to go try and knock at this coach's door, right? But then from that point, I then feel it has to be, there has to be a trust that gets established. And you can, you know, I feel like I can tell within a first few sessions with a coach whether or not this person and I can form, you know, a, a solid relationship, Is it my turn, Viv? Yes. I have some turn. I have some fun ones while we're on the topic of whether or not you like someone. Sure. <laughs> Can we do some fun ones? Let's let's do some fun ones. <laughs> okay. Um so I was advised to ask this to you in the manners of um uh like between two firm actor studio. So think about it. Like right now I'm I'm Zach and I'm Go. Okay. <laughs> have you seen that um show before? What is it? YouTube videos, I guess, but Yeah. Have you seen those, Diane? No, I don't think I have. Oh, you have? Okay, after this interview's over, I highly encourage you to Google in between two firms. I think the okay. Barack Obama one's a good place to start. <laughs> All right, anyway. Um, do, do you grunt or not grunt in the gym? Um, I think noise makes everything better, more impressive. <laughs> I just high-fived so... you all the way from Virginia. 
yeah, yeah. I definitely think noise makes everything more impressive. It boosts your confidence. Um, and I, I got to believe it puts a couple kilos on your bar easily. I am I just totally – Stacey just learned she's a loud lifter. I just, I just learned. Like the bar got heavy enough with Smolov that I learned that I'm a loud lifter. I had no idea until I was doing 30 really heavy reps that I that... – Get it out there. Just yep. get it out there. And honestly, it really does help. And also, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast already, but I, another study that I read, um, they did uh, – like a comparison of people who were allowed to curse while doing things that um, took feats of strength. And then people who were told that they could not curse. I think it was like dipping your hand in an ice bucket and seeing how long you could last, like different kind of things like that. And the people that were allowed to curse um, on average lasted something like five to 10% longer than the other people. So I think it's totally valid to say that you're probably adding five to 10% to whatever (laughs) you would do otherwise, if you're making loud noises and cursing. Oh, I believe it. (laughs) Okay. Um, do you, do you curse in the gym while you're making the noise? I don't tend to curse. Um, but I definitely do make noise because, (laughs) you know, like I said, it, elevates your confidence and it makes everything like if I snatched, you know, if I snatched 50, uh, 50 kilos, whatever, and I didn't make noise versus I snatched 50 kilos and I suddenly grunted a little bit on the way up. It's just so much more impressive to watch and it's much more engaging. Definitely. Okay. Super important question. What is your solution to finding jeans that fit? Um, you don't wear them. <laughs> Stretchy life. Yep. <laughs> um, they're called jeggings. I was going to um, say jeggings. That's all you wear. They're called jeggings. They're called uh, tights. Uh, they're called sweatpants over your tights, which <laughs> I tend to rock on a daily basis. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, you don't wear them. You don't wear them. <laughs> I've I've talked to some women who say that they get jeans, they buy them like two sizes too big to fit their their legs, and then they get them tailored to fit. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I just can't make that investment. I mean, more power to you if jeans are that important. You know, I found that I, I haven't worn jeans in so many years now that I actually, when I, when I do put a pair or stuff myself into a pair of jeans... Um, it doesn't really feel that comfortable. I mean, they're that's just a personal opinion. No, <laughs> no, they used to be very comfortable, but these days they're not just, as, they're just not as comfortable. So yeah, you don't wear them. Maxi dresses in the summer, leggings in the winter. This is the Perfect. solution to life. Perfect. Okay. Who is your tattoo artist and what do your tattoos mean to you? Oh, okay. That's a good one. So I have several. Um, Big shout out to Khalil of Tattoo City in North Beach of San Francisco. Uh, He has done a lot of my work on, you know, my arms, uh, some of my body. He's uh, done a lot of work on my back as well. Uh, My leg was actually done by an artist named Troy down in South San Francisco at a place called Triple R Tattoo. Um, And uh, I believe that's it. So those two gentlemen have been responsible for the majority of my work. And what do they mean to me? You know, that question gets asked to me a lot. And I've oftentimes sat there and said, I should come up with a better story. (laughs) And I should should be like, you know, something about the meaning of my life or some event in my life that led up to all these pieces on my, you know, on my body. But I have a very difficult time coming up with something compelling enough. And so I end up with the answer of I just like artwork. I really like that response. Yeah. I thought it looked cool. (laughs) And I wanted it on me forever. And I, you know, I'm not afraid of commitment. And so I believe in going big or going home. And so I went really big. And now I'm about three quarters covered in artwork. (laughs) That's awesome. Look at my future. (laughs) So Viv Viv has an entire back piece. and And it's a strongman back. So it's... It's a it's oh. a large piece. <laughs> what do you, what do you have on your back? 
I have a dragon, and then I have the hua mai, which is a Vietnamese New Year's flower, and then a phoenix flower. Oh, that's beautiful. I have a dragon on my back, too, so we're like sisters. So true. (laughs) Yeah. Viv and I. It's my and only one. (laughs) She went bigger, went home as well. Yeah, you just got. Well, you know, I did contemplate, you know, you can be the type of person who enjoys the style of kind of the pinup art where you have the miscellaneous pieces that end up collaging and connecting into one giant piece on your body. Right. Right. But I didn't really want that style for me. So I'm like, if I don't want that style for me, then I'm just going to get one really big piece that spans a lot of canvas. So I did contemplate that much. (laughs) I am the yin to Viv's yang. And I have... Uh, phoenix on my back although it's like a quarter of the size of vivs but um i did the opposite of you in so far as i have had a bunch of like little tattoos that led to an accidental giant piece on my shoulder um which i'm totally fine with but it uh came to it much the opposite way that you just indicated (laughs) so yeah um all right viv I'm I'm done with my fun ones. You have cool. some fun ones. I see them. You do. Yeah. Do you want me to ask your fun ones? No, You're... I'll ask. Okay. I can do it. I believe in me. All right. Diane, what drives you as an athlete? What dri- That's a good question. What drives me as an athlete? Um... Besides being awesome and doing it anyway. <laughs> You know, as an as an athlete, what drives me is performance, you know, knowing that I can do better and that it's never good enough to my standards. And so these days, you know, I, I don't compete in weightlifting anymore. I did it for a very short stint when I first started. And, you know, now I continue practicing weightlifting because I see it as an art form. Like for me, weightlifting is the same as somebody who's trying to achieve mastery in some level of martial arts or playing the piano or some other musical instrument or, you know, trying to get that perfect stroke in golf. And so, you know, practicing weightlifting for me by, you know, by that virtue is just, you know, can I really achieve the perfect snatch? You know, and getting that and constantly chasing after that and getting that feeling is what drives me and pushes me forward to continue to have conversations and learn and uh, develop. And because I'm doing all of these things as an athlete on the side, you know, that gives me a tremendous opportunity then to also share my experience, which is what ends up driving me as a coach is to be able to take these experiences and then help and affect as many people as I can. So what's your favorite part about your job then? Because that's what you alluded to. <laughs> um, the favorite, my favorite part about my job is going around meeting people from various communities, various countries, sharing my ideas, and then seeing kind of the trickle effect afterwards of them coming back to me and saying, hey, this is how I've been able to apply myself, your information with myself, or how I've been able to apply your information with my athletes, and, you know, this is how I've been able to help them. And being able to go out there and share my message and then get the feedback that it's helping people move forward with what they want to do is extremely gratifying for me. I have a question. I have a very specific question. Yes. It's a selfishly specific question. I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. So one of the things that we talk about on the podcast often is the fact that women have speed bumps that get in their way of things that men aren't used to doing. Um, And in Strongman, I think this happens more often because we have like logs and stones and things that are giant and heavy that we're trying to roll up our bodies that the speed bumps get in the way of. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I started, um, I started with CrossFit and I started with a horrifyingly awful clean. Like I look back at videos and photos and I wonder why someone wasn't stopping me and telling me not to proceed. But I did the thing that I think a lot of women, especially 
CrossFit women do, which is that um, I would move the bar so far away from my body instead of shrugging it up and having fast elbows to kind of get around the speed bumps um, that I, I'm still having a difficult time getting my muscle memory correct for a proper close to the body quick elbow clean. I'm wondering if you have particular techniques or cues or um, even accessory work that you recommend people do to build up that muscle memory to break bad habits in general, but specifically my personal problem. <laughs> so when you say speed bumps, are we talking about boobs? Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's it. <laughs> Sorry. We call them that so often. Because <laughs> they stop us from a lot of things. Yeah. They slow us down. Um, you know, so for my women that have these, I like to start calling them speed bumps. I'm like, are we talking about boobs? Totally. Um, Excellent. Uh, you know, one of the things that I have my female athletes that you know do have these considerations is you got to wear a good sports bra. If you if you don't wear a good <laughs> sports bra, it sticks out more than necessary. Stacy wears three. I, <laughs> my sports be- bras cost more than like my car payment. It's <laughs> it's it's just a situation, and it, there's there's no amount of like I, I hear you, and I think that's a really good recommendation. But for my, my personal problem, I'm literally like the only thing further I could do is get some ace bandages and kind of bolt <laughs> bolt them down. Oh, I can you just see, try to I can see that. You know, you ace bandage your knees, you <laughs> put on your wrist wraps, you ace bandage your boobs down. Like, yeah, now I'm ready to go. <laughs> now you're one hell of a comp prep. <laughs> 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 that, would be, that, would be something. that would be something um so in terms of developing motor control to be able to have the bar closer if you're really swinging that like i would imagine in order for you to swing that far out your arms have to be pretty straight you probably are not bending your elbows if much at all yeah i think that's an accurate statement uh, so <laughs> If that is the case, then you just need to drill hundreds and hundreds, which equates to thousands of reps prior to actually cleaning to get that top end piece. And it's not, you're not going to fix it through doing the movement itself, like cleaning by itself or even cleaning from the hang by itself is not going to give you proper motor control. So you actually need to break it down and segment and scale even more. So one of the things I would probably do is to get a barbell uh, that you don't necessarily care as much about the knurling because this will require you to kind of spin the bar in the rack a little bit, which breaks down the knurl, um, and set it up kind of at chest level where you would rack the bar. And you would get your hands in the clean grip or your rack grip of choice, squat down a little bit, and basically practice kind of wrapping your elbows down and around the barbell over and over again. So if you can imagine having your elbows high, like you're keeping the bar close, right? And then coming down and around to wrap your elbows down and through and just repeating that pattern over and over again prior to your lifting session, that should help start to install the new software so that when you're out there lifting, the movement starts to express and come through. The other thing I would say is, and this is extremely hard for athletes that are changing technique or athletes that are new because, you know, everybody feels like they're out of time. Anytime they start a new activity, um, they feel like, oh, I wish I would have started this like when I was two, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone feels pressed for time. And so when you have that feeling of being pressed for time, you know, it's not sexy to stay at a lighter weight until the movement becomes good. But in order to change movement patterning and make it permanent, you need to stay below the threshold of when that movement starts to fall apart, right? And that, until that, and then when it, how should I say this? And then when that movement starts to set in and become more permanent, then you start to increase the barbell, you know, a couple kilos at a time, a couple kilos at a time until eventually you're back up to where you want to be or where you were. And I would also argue that if you get back to the level of where you were before with this new technique, you'll easily punch through that ceiling and start lifting more weight because you're more efficient with the way you move. Yeah, that's, I mean, 
I can see it in myself, which means it's really bad. So, um, and I know that I can be more efficient once I figure it out. Um, and I'm just going to have to drill, 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 like you said. Um, well, here's, here's the thing is like, I get a lot of athletes that come to me from food barbell from different avenues. Some have been lifting on their own. They're like, Oh yeah, I've done lifting on my own, my garage. And now I'm here. Some come to me from, you know, other, they relocate to San Francisco. And so they end up with me and they come from a different box. Some are brand spanking new and they've never lifted a day in their life before. And now they want to, you know, pick up this activity. So I, I work with a lot of athletes from a different, a lot of different backgrounds. And one of the things is especially my athletes that come in with very strong motor patterns because they've trained on their own, they're self-taught, maybe they, you know, were at a different box or, you know, whatever the situation is, you know, because they're under my supervision and, you know, because they also trust me as their coach, I, if there's something that they need to fix I have them scale back and break down the movement and I don't let them advance their bar until their movement is set in. And this process is a little painful at first, but when they start to feel and see the improvement because the newer technique actually feels better on their body because it's not as, uh, there's not as much um, effort being put out, they start to buy into the process. And this process for some of my athletes takes anywhere from six to eight months all the way up to a year for the new technique to settle in. But once it settles in, their numbers start to really skyrocket and move forward because the way you want to program for a movement is you keep their lifts, the, the ones that are a little more skillful, like the snatch and the clean or whatever piece of the technique you're trying to correct, light. But they're still getting strong as hell through squatting and pulling and pushing. So it's not like they're physically not getting stronger. Physiologically, they're still increasing in strength. It's just we're taking our time and rewiring motor patterns, right? So they're having a lot of successes in a lot of other places. I think think it's good for people to hear that because Viv and I have given similar advice to people about, you know, uh, not going gung-ho when you're not completely comfortable or skilled or have the right coaching or the right spotting or whatever it is. And I think it's, it's good for people to hear, um, from someone like you that when you, when you finally get to that place where you, you've advanced your technical level, that that's where the, the strength component will come in kind of and, and kick in and be better. And it's not like, it's not like you're losing all your gains over that period of time. No, the the athletes are still the, you know, if you're programming, if you're programming for movement, you can still move the strength. You can still move their capacity forward. You know, it's just you're taking a little bit more time on the skilled pieces. And they, they will still see improvement over this course of time. But in terms of actual, you know, in my world, snatch and clean and jerk, yes, they might not be seeing PRs for that year that we're up to a year that we're rewiring the movement. But once we get the movement installed and they're moving with they're no longer thinking and it just becomes automatic like the the gains past that point you know are are leaps and bounds and largely also is if these athletes are coming in with less than optimal movement mechanics chances are they're still a beginner and in terms of beginning training their potential is huge like a beginner's upswing is huge in their first like i would say three to five years three to five years yeah, absolutely. I'm going to catch up to you, Viv. <laughs> keep you pulling. Keep pulling. Please do. It'll be fun. Uh, all right. Viv, Viv and I are I have a fun not question. allowed to compete together anymore. No, Stacy hates it. <laughs> I like it. Stacey's I'm not, too competitive. A, not about that life. Okay, I have a fun question. What's your favorite food? And what is a typical food day like for you? So like eating schedule, yada, yada, yada. Because I'm doing this thing where I'm following a food schedule now, Stacey. Mm, okay. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a good question. So if, uh, if you were to have talked to me about three months ago, um, I was paleo. So uh, it would, you know, paleo, if you break it down, is typically, you know, very high fat, uh, pretty decent protein intake. And, you know, relatively low carb in the grand scheme of things. 
Um, but the last three months, I've, you know, tried, I'm trying something new where, um, you know, I call it the uh, Weight Watchers for Athletes. Um, <laughs> and it's basically uh, counting macros. Are you doing right. If It Fits Your Macros? Yes, I am. Are you doing like uh, a paleo version of If It Fits Your Macros or are you eating um, like Wonder Bread? Uh, I'm not quite at the Wonder Bread level because I'm still <laughs> trying to make it as gluten-free as possible just because I do feel an inflammatory response when I do a lot of gluten. Uh, but I, you know, it's it's a difficult switch in mentality because I am not used to eating quite as much carbs as I'm eating right now. Yeah, so, it's awful. <laughs> I've had to, <laughs> I've had to resort to gummy bears <laughs> sometimes to uh, make all the macros fit. But I am, you know, doing if it fits your macros at this point. So you know, the mornings will typically start out where I do, you know, some type of omelet with some type of, you know, blueberry or some type of gluten-free muffin. Um, in the afternoons, I tend to go to sushi because sushi is also pretty low. Oh, the other major adjustment is I'm not used to eating like next to no fat, right? Because paleo typically tends to be pretty high in the fat because you're doing the nuts and the avocados. And, you know, when I have steak, I'm, I'm getting the marbled ribeye and, you know, chowing down on that. So, you know, with the, the macros, I've adjusted it where it's very high carb, low fat and a moderate amount of protein. And so afternoons will typically be sushi of some sort. And then evenings will be either some kind of, you know, starch with a lean protein and a serving of vegetables. Or this past week, it's been a lot of pho with extra servings of... Yeah, soup! <laughs> Viv and I are all about the soup life pho. And, and I am a paleo advocate of Team White Rice myself because... Oh. When, when you train hard, you need carbohydrates, period. So um, I don't have an inflammatory response to white rice or potatoes, so they're part of my paleo palate. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Pho has been the, the go-to of choice this past week with, you know, extra steak. So that's kind of how it goes. And then whatever I have left over at the end of my day, I'll typically fill it with either some kind of, you know, dairy-free ice cream or I'll do gummy bears or I'll do some nuts to kind of just round out the profile. I'm all about the ice cream. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I did I did something very similar over the summertime. I did like a carb cycling, which is basically, it's, it's like if it fits your macros, only it alternates days. So it's supposed to help me lean out. And then on my training days, supposed to be higher carb. Um, it did not work for me. So I'm, I'm, I'll be curious to hear how that goes through. I mean, doing it three months, you've probably um, established how you feel about it. So yeah, um, I, you know what, I really, it's opened up a new world because when you're, when you're hardcore paleo, I don't feel like you're suffering, but you do give up certain choices. Like I hadn't eaten gummy bears in like seven years. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, when, when I commit to something, I'm pretty like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And so I haven't eaten things like gummy. The other day I bought a box of Frosted Flakes just because, you know, I'm like, I wanted some Frosted Flakes and I'm going to have it with some, you know, dairy-free milk. And it's just, you know, these foods are, are something that when you commit to a certain eating choice, you just tend to drop it off your palate. And so it's kind of opened up the world again where it's like I can eat essentially if I choose whatever I want. Um, as long as it fits within this, you know, macronutrient profile, which is why I call it Weight Watchers for Athletes. <laughs> I think well, as soon as you said that, I was like, I bet she's doing it if it's your macros. Yeah. So, um, well, awesome. I don't want to take up much more of your time. Um, I hear that you're surrounded by people lifting weights who um, are probably waiting for you to help them. <laughs> Uh, Viv, do you have anything else you want to, did you come up with more gummy bear have, questions? Cause that, I mean, yeah. we kind of got to end on gummy bears. Yeah. I think <laughs> it sounds like a good plan to end on gummy bears. We got <laughs> no. a lot of good information though. Yeah. Um, well, it was wonderful speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. And, um, I, in general, just want to thank you for being, uh, one of the, 
the women who is available for other women to see that it's not just men who, who can do this sport, whether their sport is CrossFit or Olympic lifting or powerlifting, strongman, you know, we all, I think the movement has definitely, for me at least, become much more um, advanced and open since CrossFit has become kind of, I think it's popularized it in a way that um, is is new. And with that, uh, having someone with your experience and your knowledge available in the community to um, support those fine techniques and a lot of the stuff that you talked about, I think is, is super valuable. So I want to thank you for being such a wonderful voice in the community and an example for us all. Um, and I, I will tell you that, um, I have eaten gummy bears in the last five years since I've been paleo. So um, it's not something I've regularly done maybe twice in five years, but, um, now I'm feeling like, I, I, I'm just, I'm not the kind of like all or nothing person. I just feel like, you know, I make good choices most of the time. I'm a hundred percent gluten-free. Um, and then sometimes, you know, you just need some Ben and Jerry's, you know, (laughs) goodness. Now I'm throwing things. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) anyway, thank you so much again. And, um, thank you for letting us fangirl over you and your IG and all that jazz. (laughs) Thank you, ladies, so much for having me on. You know, I'm really appreciative of all the support you guys have been pouring at me. Um, And, you know, it's I'm really, truly appreciative and glad that I can be, you know, a role model for other athletes, other women, you know, especially if, you know, the, the younger generation that's now coming up underneath me. I really hope that, you know, by doing what I'm doing, um, you know, establishing a platform for them to be able to step up and do something similar, if not hopefully better than what I'm doing out there. Awesome. So do you want to plug any of yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you're doing like seminars and events and stuff, which Viv and I totally scoped out and there's nothing unfortunately nearby, or we would have come and stalked you in person. <laughs> but, um, do you want to maybe mention to people where you'll be since we're international here, there might be some listeners that would want to come out to one of your seminars or anything else you have going on? Sure. Absolutely. Um, so food barbell, you know, every, every year I travel around two, three times a month to various parts. It's mostly in the United States. Uh, I've done some work in Latin America where I teach, uh, weightlifting basics in the food barbell seminar course. I have two, one's called Olympic weightlifting rules, which is, you know, a play on words, but, uh, that one would appeal to athletes and coaches who are looking for a basic template in which to start an athlete and progress them forward. And I say that for athletes that have been lifting maybe under three years, they would find large benefit in coming to this course. Uh, for the rest of the athletes, I have uh, kind of a, a more advanced course where we start talking about different styles of technique that are available, different concepts uh, on movement with the barbell. And these are for athletes that already have the basics and the foundations laid out, and they're looking to either move themselves forward or move their athletes forward. And um, that course is uh, also available as well. And... Um, you can find it on my website, which is foobarbell.com forward slash events. Uh, I am doing a special tour right now where I am bringing a biomechanist over from Australia. His name is Lester Ho. And uh, we are going to be doing a co-seminar for a three-week span, late March to first weekend of April, where we have locations already set up. And what we're going to do is we're going to teach Olympic weightlifting from the perspective of science and then taking these concepts and then uh, teaching athletes how to apply them on top of their own lifting and uh, hopefully give them another perspective in which to, you know, address their movement mechanics. And people can find those at foobarbell.com slash events, but I'll just list off. Yeah, sorry. Um, the Chicago, Illinois, Santa Clara, California, South Haven. I'm terrible with geography. I'm assuming that's Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Houston, Texas, Pleasantville, New York, and Fairfield, New Jersey. No, I wasn't. That wasn't a joke. I'm seriously terrible. So um, <laughs> if you're near one of those cities or even like for me, I'm going to be um, taking the boys to Disney for spring break during that period. Otherwise, I would have gone to the Fairfield, New Jersey one because that's at 
Brazen, which is where another paleo leader works out of, um, Diane from Balanced Bites. I don't know if you've heard of, um, she wrote Practical Paleo. She works out at Brazen. So, yeah, so that'll be a cool event for sure. And I would have gone to that if I wasn't out of town. But if you're near one of those cities, check it out. I I would love to go. So, Um, and certainly for people who don't have, um, you know, a dedicated coach all the time, those kinds of seminars are really great to kind of self-teach and, and that sort of stuff as well. So awesome. Well, thank you again so much for, for coming on and, um, stay strong. Thank you. Thank you ladies so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you ladies. Awesome. Thank you. 